All roads lead to power. And on this show, we're going to break that idea down a little bit. What is power? Who has it? How do you get it? We'll deconstruct everything from motivation and mental health to anti-racism and addiction. Ultimately, the goal is to give you the tools and strategies that you need to live your most powerful life, being a force for good in the world and impacting the people around you in a positive way. Powerful is brought to you by me, your host, Jeff Kular. I help people change and build incredible teams. Welcome to the show. A realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Because the so-called real world of men and money and power comes merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline. If people don't learn power, people don't wake up. If they don't wake up, they get left out. Welcome back to a special edition of Powerful. This is a Monday episode. Usually we drop new episodes on Thursdays, but we just couldn't wait to bring you this conversation and a few to follow with my good friend and colleague, Stephen DeGroote, who is a leadership expert. He spent a lot of years in helping services, a wide range of you know, children's services, addiction and mental health and justice. And he was an academic. He wrote a book called Responsive Leadership in Social Services. He's a corporate leadership development expert, uh, really a human behavior guy. He really sees through um, the issues that, that face us as humans and has a a lot of experience in helping people thrive, helping people live their most meaningful lives. And so him and I have been collaborating and having good conversations about this work and working together on helping to move the needle on leadership and practice and lots of different areas for a few years now. And it's high time we sat down and had some conversations about what this work can and should look like. In today's episode, we're tackling one of probably the biggest issues facing uh, the sector, nonprofit and education and human services, and also corporate, um, and also parenting. Uh, it's this epidemic of burnout that we're facing. Um, the World Health Organization recently called it an epidemic and listed it as, you know, a major problem. Uh, but we probably didn't need them to do that for us to realize that it is a problem. I think a lot of us feel the impacts of burnout in our lives and in our teams and organizations and the impact that that has on the people that we care for, whether those people are our employees or our children. So please enjoy this focused conversation on beating burnout and how we can do that. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. No problem, Jeff. My pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, and I, I really want to talk to you about lots of different things, and we're going to have a couple of different conversations, I'm sure. Um, but I want to start with probably one of the most pressing issues that I see when I'm working in the helping services in education and healthcare and addiction treatment is this epidemic of burnout. And we've recently that the World Health Organization has called it that they've called it an epidemic, they've called it out and said, you know what, it's a it's a major problem. And I know that you've got lots of thoughts about this. I've got lots of thoughts about this. And so I thought, let's have an interesting conversation about the phenomenon known as burnout, and what we can do about it, because it's not going anywhere anytime soon, it would seem. No, it's not going anywhere. Um, it's it's terrifying, actually. In 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 my book back when I was writing it in you know between 2013 and 2016, uh, I remember chapters saying like this: why is why is somebody not sounding a freaking alarm? Like um, you know, everyone we were interviewing across Canada and Australia uh, were exhausted and uh, talking about how it was difficult to do the work. Now, in some industries, that's you know folding cardboard boxes. The implications aren't going to be. <laughs> you know, as detrimental, but we're talking about health and human service workers, people who are legitimately responsible for the well-being of other people. 
Uh, and I'm like, how is this okay? Right. And, you know, I think we said like even in 2018, talking about London School of Economics and the World Health Organization, both saying like, this is going to be a terrible situation. And here it is. It's here. The epidemic is here. Right. And uh, yeah. Wow. And what's driving it? Like, I mean, obviously there's, there's lots of different factors go into something, you know, burnout's not probably a one causal factor, but what are some of the factors that are driving this epidemic? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because there's lots of red herrings, you know, I'm not saying that the impediments aren't real, you know, political reactivity, uh, financial constraints, um, you know, workload, especially in some of the addictions and child welfare justice areas that are huge, right? I mean, those are the obvious things, mm-hmm. um, work-life balance. But one of the biggest things that, you know, when I did the research for the book was like, holy smokes, like leadership, super, direct supervisors and managers have this positive and profound impact on people's perceptions of their support and and their work. Uh, I was like, how come we're not looking at this? It's like, you know, it's like uh, the other things are important, but this was like the quickest win that we weren't looking, we weren't looking at. So we went down that thing and, you know, t- we can't, we cannot, some of the impediments to, to great practice, we cannot control like the political reactivity, the bureaucracy, you know, I mean, there's, there's things that, you know, we, you know, if you look at the, the what is it? The um, Canadian Association of Social Workers was started in 1826, <laughs> Or, or 1926, right, to, to deal with workplace conditions, right? Here we are, 2000, you know, 2020. What's the number one thing they're still pushing? Work conditions. Come on. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been 90 years, right? So, so, yeah, so there's a lot of things pushing it. But my big thing is what are the things that we can control? Mm-hmm. And if we can improve the quality of uh, supervision and support and the leadership experience, we're going to get meaningful uplift, I think, and, and kind of lift that rock a bit to be able to deal with some of the other things. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know I sometimes you know it's not even really a joke anymore. But I say if you want a wellness program, build your leaders, like develop your leaders. Yeah. That's the best wellness program that's out there is is good leadership, right? Yeah. And and leaders I think are burning out at probably the same rate, if not a higher rate, than frontline uh, employees are because yeah. The, yeah. the burden on them is not smaller, right? It's it's you know, that yeah. burden of responsibility. And so you know I actually yeah. I often talk about from a right use of power perspective that it's ethical practice. Like self care is actually ethical. It's not this optional thing for leadership to like tell you know yoga and green tea and taking a vacation like those are all great things but yeah self-care is more than that and wellness is more than that and leadership if it doesn't incorporate that as a fundamental piece of practice um it's treated as optional and we know what happens when things are optional they they don't usually get done so um, tell, tell us more about your perspective on like leadership that role around burnout like what is it about the leadership or the leader employee experience that yeah. you think is most yeah. powerful? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating because even as an academic, I would, I would probably say, oh, that's a waste of time. We can't really <clears throat> make change. But when I started interviewing thousands of people, there's one, there's one story that puts it all into, into perspective. And that's I was doing uh, back in 2005, there was one of the most horrific child deaths uh, in Manitoba while I was launching a project <laughs> on team building and increasing you know, uh, team uh, empowerment and productivity and stuff like that. And people were saying it was the most demoralizing time of their their lives. I won't get into the details, but these are people that were working 20 years in the field plus. And um, two, there was a control group and then there was the the experimental group, right? And the control group, of course, you don't do anything with. The experimental group is where the intervention was. I walked down the hall. So my experimental group was demoralized. And I just literally walked down the hall. And it was, this is not a metaphor. It was down the hall to a very same team. And they were all positive and they were talking about, you know, digging in and, and dealing with this. And I interviewed them and there was only one 
variable that was different, and that was their perceived support by their direct supervisor. That was it. And I was like, are they taking illicit drugs? Like, there's got to be something else. You know, of course, as a young researcher, that wasn't a good thing that the control group was uh, exceeding my experimental group, right? That's not, I would have loved to shelve that, right? But it was a lightning bolt moment, right? To, it was the first sign for me, um, the profound impact and, you know, that the quality leader could have on on a, uh, and I use it, uh, the experience of themselves. So the experience of the employee but more importantly, the experience of themselves within the work. And that's where it started to become a game changer. I'm like, wow, this is huge. We need to, we need to like look at this more. Okay. So let's, let's back up a second. Like, what are we, what are we doing that's not working? Like what are what, around burnout in particular? Like what are some of these interventions? Like going back to that experiment that you did, you're intervening, trying to, to shift the needle and that realization, you know, experimental outcome was that, that, that didn't make a difference, but it's the leader that does. What are those things that we're still doing that aren't making a difference? You know, I, I joke about yoga and green tea and like wellness days once yeah. a year and those types of things. But um, yeah. what, what are you seeing out there yeah. in your in your travels in the sector? Uh, um, uh, interesting. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's 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 so simple. It seems my academic brain goes, "That's too simple. It's not complicated enough, right?" Hmm. Uh, and what we're seeing is that it doesn't have to be complicated. It's beautifully complex. And what people what you know, what frontline practitioners need is it's, we talk, we talk about meaning and having a meaningful connection. You know, they're talking about motivation and engagement, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, does the work hold meaning still? Are they having a meaningful experience? Right. Because, you know, human service workers, addiction workers, mental health, child child welfare workers, they showed up motivated. There is no other sector in the world that's more motivated than health and human service workers. but something happens that impacts their level of motivation. And sometimes it's a disconnection from the values, right? We talk about core four. You and I talk a lot about that, right? Like we come in with our needs to help, our values of helping, our goals of helping, and our strengths to help out and help well. When those start to become blocked or impeded in some way, our experience of the work shifts drastically, right? And, 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 and this is weird because for people that really want to help, we feel like we're not doing enough, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why burnout is expedited in the health and human services because we've got the guilt, fear, and shame that come with not doing a good job, right? So when we focus that we're doing too much people, uh, too much paperwork, and not enough people work, it is a it is a, a violation of who we are and what we do. So so you want to talk about fast tracking burnout? Um, you know, add you know just the the nature of the impediments to to trying to do a good job. Add a leader. We got to differentiate between you know leader and leadership because all leaders are trying their best, but add poor quality leadership on top of that. And you are going to fast track uh, this person to burn up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, just speaking from my own experience, you know, about a dozen years in, in addictions treatment and a lot of that in leadership positions. And, you know, we actually, I was just out at base camp last weekend and we shut the program down because they were the victim to some cuts here in Alberta. Um, so that program is, uh, after 15 years of world-class work, is no longer, which is sad for a lot yeah, of us. But sorry, sorry to hear that, man. Oh, it's... Uh, it's one of those things that comes and goes, but, um, sitting around the fire with about 30 or 40 former colleagues and friends and sharing laughs and tears and to a, one of them talking about the meaning that the place held and the work and how it actually, you know, we joked a little bit, but there's an undertone of truth to it is that that experience of having really meaningful work has wrecked a lot of people to tolerate work elsewhere that isn't meaningful. Like a lot of people go to other places and they're like, well, this is bullshit. Like where, where's the meaning in the work here? Um, and so now having the language, having spent some time with you over the past few years, developing that congruent language for that experience, you know, I can clearly see that the road to wellness in life in general 
is meaning and particularly yeah. in the work and particularly in the hard work yeah. of yeah. of addiction treatment or mental health or children's services like you name it like you said yeah. when you're responsible for the well-being of another person yeah and you're yeah. unwell yourself like you can't help but you know yeah. that tension is, is insurmountable um i think yeah. Yeah. and and leadership becomes that mechanism so from that perspective like what are some practical strategies that leaders can do today who are listening to this podcast who are like oh shit i'm not sure that my people are having a meaningful experience here yeah. how do we get them yeah. a little bit closer i mean obviously we've got some um we'll talk a little bit down the road about some of the things that, that they can do and that that, that you offer um, and that we offer yeah. that they'll yeah. help them on in that journey but yeah. quick wins i'm listening to this podcast uh, like, oh, yeah what's, yeah what's meaning and how do i find it yeah, for sure. The first one is suspend your assumption as a supervisor about the experience of your workers. Uh, you hear a lot of things going, well, that's just child welfare, or that's this, and you know they got to suck it up. And the reality is that's an impediment to our understanding their their experience as as employees and as healthcare or health, um, human service practitioners. The other one is is to show that you care about them. Like, I mean, I know it sounds like a a platitude, but the reality is, is the number one thing is people say, I want to feel cared for by my supervisor that they actually genuinely care about my experience. And, and this is another tip to, to supervisors because sometimes we don't want to hear what they're complaining about because we can't do anything about it. Uh, so we, so we stop them and we shut it down. Like, or we say things like, well, it can't do anything about the funding or can't do anything about, you know, the, the requirements for your program. They, they already know they're not brain damaged. <laughs> they know we can't. And I, I would say to a lot of young, like uh, just supervisors and managers is just to listen just to listen and validate their concerns. And, and most frontline health and human service workers know we can't do anything about it. They just want to be just like our clients, funny, <laughs> parallel process. They want to be heard. Uh, they want us to try to understand and they want us to take what they're saying seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's 80% of the battle, right? So those are some, some tips that I would say is, uh, you know, and for, for supervisors, if unless we're delegating, if we're talking more than the other person is talking, uh, the equation is wrong. So we need to be listening uh, in terms of their experience and just validate it. You know, sometimes just saying, yeah, it sucks can be enough for them to just kind of get up and get, get that wind and go, that's all I needed to hear. Right. And get back to it. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple other, I mean, if you want a couple other quick wins for, for supervisors, one is just get to know um, which aspect of the work your employees are most excited about. Cause it's not all bad. There's still, whether it's client contact, whether it's getting a, a proposal done, whether it's case files, like, there's aspects of their work that they're still connected to that hold meaning and having a conversation with them about, Hey, which aspect of your work do you still get excited about even just a little bit? Right. Mm-hmm. And to listen for what needs are being met and what values are in alignment and, and what goals are being accomplished and what strengths are they able to leverage in those moments. And I think that that can be really key uh, for supervisors to get closer to what's meaningful for their, uh, their employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I would add from a leadership perspective, the, having making sure that the values of the program or the organization are also clearly outlined and clearly oh articulated gosh, yeah. and put into practice because when i think about you know the, the turning point for base camp was probably around 2008 or 9 when we actually sat down and took that exercise seriously it's like what are we here to do and how are we going to do it yeah. right yeah and when we figured out the how we're going to do it we articulated a cl- very clear set of values and we started holding each other accountable to it and if those values aligned with you as a practitioner and you saw them alive in your practice it's like the yeah. work can be impossibly hard. Like we had lots of 16, 18, 20 hour days where the generators went down and the, the road was snowed in and the plow broke and yeah. the phone, like shit just yeah. hit the fan and yeah. you're being, you do your hourly the math on your hourly salary and you're like, this is bullshit. Like I could make more Tim Hortons, right? Yeah. Why am I doing this? 
And you're doing it because it holds it's meaning. It's meaningful. It's meaningful <laughs> because the values are in alignment because you believe oh. deeply in the purpose of the place. And I think too many leaders, too many organizations give lip service to vision, mission values, like those those, yeah. those pieces of the, the strategic plan that live in a book yeah. or they live on a wall in a boardroom. And you're like, yeah. how is how is that client-centered? Like I, I found myself asking yeah. that question lots of yeah. the team. Yeah. Like, are we well, seeing a whole people right now? Or are we seeing just oh. an addict? Right. Yeah. We, we're here to see whole people. Um, so and, talk and about you're that. Call, yeah. You're, well, you're calling it out. It's awesome because we didn't know like the power values have. Like even as an academic, I, I, I gave them lip service, not because I was unintentionally, you know, or intentionally uncaring. I was um, intentionally caring and unintentionally aware. And the reason that you want to talk about fast tracking burnout is put values on the wall and don't live them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because what's really powerful is like research shows this corporates, you know, getting ahead of us. They, they see that, you know, people that understand uh, and connect to the values are 51 times more likely to perform 51 times. That's right. Like, like that, you know, you throw that into health and human services. When I've come to uh, empower people, right. The empower word or not help them to be self-determining or client centered. And I walk by those every day. If I feel that we're not doing those, it becomes several things. First, it becomes disillusioning, which everybody goes, oh, you know, it's kind of weird. We say that, mm-hmm. you know, but you can only live like that for a while. Then it becomes demoralizing um, where it actually has a reverse effect because it's so powerful and uplifting. It's also down driving and it becomes destructive, destructive, not only to individual morale and motivation, it becomes destructive to teams and eventually to large organizations, right? And it's it's sad, but yeah, we gotta we gotta pay attention to that for sure. Yeah, we get employees who are not only not performing, but they're like they're tearing us down on Facebook during their <laughs> during their working hours, right? Yeah, like it's just yeah, that the destructive piece, the actively yeah, exactly. disengage is like oh shit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And that's you know, that's another animal. I was talking to a doctor about this the other day. Like, you know, when when you have a negative experience with a you know, with a, a health and human service agency um, during a very critical and vulnerable time. Uh, if you don't trust that interaction, that front-facing part of that system, you leave and you have dinner and you talk to your family about it. You talk to your community about it. And what we actually do is we send a reverberation the other way. Don't trust this doctor. Don't trust this social worker. Don't trust this addiction, uh, which is unbelievably scary for me mm-hmm. uh, that that's actually happening, right? So, like, there's so many implications to what we're talking about. But we, if we, you know, and it can be overwhelming, but you know, bringing roping it back to what's into control of the of the individual supervisor is honor those values. You know, get to know the experience of your employee. Right, find out what's important to them. Try to make those connections between what's meaningful and what you can actually offer them. And what's amazing, as you and I are seeing, is there's more than we can imagine. Which is why we take people that are unmotivated, and within a week they're motivated again. And we have not changed anything <laughs> other than finding out a little bit more about what their motivators are or what's meaningful to them. Right. And it's, it sounds unbelievable, but uh, we love doing it because they just need to be resuscitated. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're working wounded and we just need to kind of look, you know, reset them. Yeah, no, totally. Okay. So let's circle back to really practical advice for a leader. So I'm a high school principal. I'm a team lead on a addictions treatment team at a, at a residential treatment center. And I've got somebody who's disengaged and the listener can't see me using air quotes on that because we're always engaged right disengagement from my perspective is just somebody engaging in something that's more meaningful to them than it is to me and i'm pissed off about it right or i'm I'm concerned about it Um, yeah so but for that leader who's got somebody who's disengaged or not fully finding meaning 
in the work anymore. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What are some practical steps that you would walk them through? Questions you would ask them, um, processes, you know, activities yeah. that you would do with them. What do you, what do you have for the listener today? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I, we can give some some definite things that they can start with and start small, right? It, it can seem overwhelming, um, but some of the things that we're going to say are pretty simple. And I think once you get insight into what your experience is of a of your employees, you start to see a way out, right? So the first thing I always say is start with strengths, right? So so we talk about needs, values, goals, strengths. Strengths gets fourth billing, but it's so critical because things haven't always been crappy. Things haven't always been bad. Like like let's start talking about two things. When was it better? right? And mm-hmm. what contributed to better? And what are we doing well currently? Because even just asking that sometimes is like a breath of fresh air, right? So so have a discussion either one-on-one or with a group. What are we doing well? And when have things been better, no matter how small? Let's talk about looking at the things that were contributing to that. Uh, the other thing that I would suggest is there's actually uh, five questions, you know, that um, there's six. I just asked one of them that you can actually ask people, right? And and supervisors can simply say, you know, when you come to work every day, what is it that you're hoping for? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? Right. And that's just a very concrete, oh, I want to get shit done. You know, I want to get it done. I want to, I want to move my pile from open to closed on my filing cabinet. Right. And so that's a good question. Another one is what's most important to you. Right. Those, those, that's a values based question. So like when you come to work, what's most important. And you can listen for values. It's like to make a difference or to have more client contact or to connect more with the team. All of a sudden you start to go, "Mm, well, we can do that. That's not, that's not going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. So, you know, what are you hoping for? Uh, What's most important to you when things are really, really, really like (laughs) overwhelming uh, and you know, people are like losing their minds. I like to breathe and say to people, okay, let's just, everything's okay. What do you feel you need? Or as a group, as a team, what do we feel we need, right? Because most people just kind of stop and go, I don't know. Or you get a little, I just wanted to stop. Okay, tell me about that. (laughs) What do you need to stop and what can we stop and and what does that mean to you? So that's that's that third question. The other two questions I always say, you know, if you get into these conversations with your direct direct report or the people you're responsible for, is to always finish it with, uh, is there anything that you need from me, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we've had this conversation. And I know that's a scary question for supervisors and managers to ask. I didn't ask it for a whole decade, knowing uh, full well that I was afraid <laughs> that what they were going to say next, I couldn't do. But I'll give you the million dollar questions because I think they're, they're really helpful right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, is there anything that you need from me and how can I be the most helpful? What I realized after a while is like, oh, they're all, I'm good. I'm like, whew, you don't need anything. <laughs> okay. How can I be helpful? No, I know where to find you, right? And um, if they feel it's genuine and caring, they'll, they'll let you know uh, what they need, mm-hmm. right? So again, I guess the the one thing I'm going to give away here, it's one of, my, one of my favorite questions in the whole world is, is I know that they might ask for a $1,000 raise, or they might ask for the program to be reopened, or they might ask for somebody to be resurrected, who knows, right? We sometimes hear some impossible things. And what you and I often talk about are the million dollar questions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody says, I just need you to fire everybody, we just stay calm and say, mm-hmm. what difference would that make? How would that be helpful if we fired everybody, you know? And they usually, you know, we get the meaning behind it, which is, well, don't fire everybody. It's just two people in that department are gossiping. Okay, so it went from 20 people being fired to two people in one department, right? So I love those questions because they help reveal meaning Mm -hmm. uh, and they turn what might seem impossible into possible. So I totally encourage uh, supervisors to put those questions. What difference would that make or how would that be helpful in their back pocket when they're trying to solution with people? Yeah, Mm -hmm. get closer to the meaning. Yeah, no, those Mm -hmm. are are incredibly powerful. 
questions when when you're digging for meaning because yeah people often and we'll talk maybe in a different podcast about why people protect their meaning and why we we often are dealing with the symptoms um yeah of that of of underlying distress or, or conflict amongst needs and values and things um you know i'm always i treat everything i see that's a symptom of something else and my job yeah. is to figure out like what's actually underneath of that and it's meaning yeah. like at the end of the day it's, yeah. a, it's a value that isn't being lived or somebody's yeah. incongruent with or what whatever um so those questions yeah. really um um, surface that very, very quickly and bring that oh, to the sure. fore. And then we're having meaningful conversations about meaningful things and yeah. engagement goes up and burnout goes down. Like this is, yeah. this is, a, that's yeah. the process. That's how, uh, that's how the, the dots get connected from the burnout epidemic and what we can actually do about it as individual yeah. leaders and as programs. It is a leadership practice, you know, yeah. 95% of whatever the stat is, I'm sure it's very high. It might not be 95, but of the employee experience is directly connected to leadership. And we know that the research is super clear across all sectors for decades now. Um, oh, and, and it, so, it's even getting clearer. Yeah. I would say it's, I, I would say it's about 80% for sure. Yeah. Right? So 80% of the variance of the employee experience has to do with leadership. Right. So, yeah. and not to put an extra burden on people, on leaders, but that's the job, right? Like, and I've been there and it's part of the responsibility with power comes responsibility. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about power and how we, how it shows up in the world and how we use it and how we're intentional with it. And I think that probably a lot of leader impacts that are misaligned. Like I I love how you differentiate leader and leadership and maybe we'll dig into that for the, in the next episode. Um, the the difference between those things and how leaders can improve their leadership while still being human. Um, there's a ton of pressure. I know there's a ton of responsibility. I've been there myself. Um, but when leaders are well, when leaders are looking after themselves and when leaders are intentional with their power and making sure they're not accidentally compromising employee experience yeah. and employee meaning yeah. everybody yeah. thrives and our outcomes improve at the end of the day we, yeah. do, we do better work yeah and we can actually do more with less because we can not because we have to i mean that's the, what i'm starting to see we're going to places that have no money they have no time but creating a more meaningful experience saves both of those things right with uh, with little effort but you know you said something really important it's like you know, we start talking to leaders and you feel the weight on your shoulders and like, yeah, it's up to leadership. So guess what? That weight was already there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is what I've been telling supervisors and managers, your employee story is already going on with or without you. This is your opportunity to, to, to hear about it and to learn about it, you know, and we're all afraid to hear that we suck, but you know, something we don't. And, and once we get over that fear, we can actually do something about it. But standing outside, plugging our ears and going, la, 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 you know, everything's fine, is doing what we've been hired to do and what we have an ethical and moral obligation to do as supervisors. Um, we're not doing it, right? So we, we need to know their story. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, from a, from a guy who used to suck, right, um, I didn't suck as badly as I thought. But the good news is once I understood what I could do, I could make it better faster, right? So that's the good news story for supervisors and managers and and other leaders as well in the health and human services, for sure. Awesome. Well, let's let's hit it there. That was a great conversation about burnout and beating burnout. Yeah. Where can people go to learn more about the Beating Burnout program, which is a, a, a really exciting leadership development program that Brivia is launching? Let's talk a little bit about Brivia and the work you're doing and maybe where people can learn more. Yeah, well, uh, Brivia is the new iteration of Myriad. A lot of people uh, know Myriad because it was around for 20 years. Uh, so Brivia Consulting is our, our new iteration of our company. Uh, and we do both health and human services and corporate. Uh, it's about humans, right? And uh, we're all about um, building better, better leaders, better engagement, better culture. Uh, but whatever you call it, we're, our number one promise is to make work and life meaningful. 
right? We find that uh, meaning is the most potent source of motivation, engagement, optimization, and performance. So that's that's what we're doing. Um, the beating burnout solution. You and I have been working at it for six years. Uh, I've been on it for about 21. And we've come to realize that there's no more time. There's no more money. So what we've developed is we're calling it the beating burnout solution for leaders. And it is the minimal viable solution that has the greatest impact. So we've created something. We'll find a link for it. We're going to advertise it on the show notes for sure. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, and basically, it's, uh, it's, um, it's development without disruption of the work. So it's a set of uh, solutions for leaders that they can do from anywhere. And it's three of our best, it's like three of our best programs. It's, it's the e-learning, which you can do from anywhere. It's the advanced brand new key performance motivator scale on how do you learn about what's most meaningful combined with an hour and a half coaching session uh, that you can do from anywhere at home, at work. And so we've tried to develop something that is super powerful, uh, that takes little time, little energy. And the best thing that people are going to love is it costs a little money. It's super affordable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about it. And we're going to roll that out very, very soon. And as you can see, I'm bouncing on my feet and <laughs> getting super excited. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we will definitely put links in the show notes so people can can find their way there because, you know, burnout, uh, the work's too important to yeah. allow this this epidemic to to continue because it, it is impacting outcomes. It's impacting the people that we all just chose to serve um, in one way or another as helping professionals, whether we're in education or healthcare. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm excited about this yeah. and I'm excited to continue to help move the needle on this burnout thing with you. So thank you for yeah. joining me. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Powerful, this conversation with Stephen DeGroote about beating burnout. And you can find out more information about him and the work that he's doing at www.briviaconsulting.com. And as always, I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time to listen in on these types of conversations. And I'd love it if you dropped us a rating or a review on iTunes or Podbean or Spotify or wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. It really does help us uh, have a bigger impact in the world and reach more people. So until next week, thank you so much.